Hi, and welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny podcast, where every single Tuesday we interview a new guest to talk about topics to help you craft your own fit life. The title Stop Chasing Skinny comes from my own personal tagline of life begins when you stop chasing skinny. You see, I spent many years running many miles, taking many classes, and trying many diets, but none of those worked. So finally, I got down to the business of understanding what really matters. And it's not just about how much exercise you can do or how little you can eat. It's everything else that goes into it. So I created this podcast to help you so you can craft your own fit life. Every single Tuesday, you can listen to an interview with a guest. And now every Friday, you can listen to me a second time where I take questions you have sent to me and I spend about 15 minutes answering them. You can even feed your brain this nourishing brain food by listening while you're cooking, commuting, cleaning, walking the dog, or just about anything else. Because that is how we craft a fit life. Today's podcast guest is Randy Davis. Randy and I met through It's the Pits. It's the pit bull rescue that I volunteer with. He works with both rescues and shelters and private clients to resolve their doggy issues. And some of those behavioral issues can be anything from anxiety to fear, panic to aggression, separation to stress to overexcitement, any of it and everything in between. He is a professional member of IACP, that's the International Association of Canine Professionals. There is currently a waiting list to work with Randy, but if you think you need his services after listening to this episode, it is totally worth the wait. And he has the information there too. Go ahead and call or email him just to check availability because he really is worth waiting for. And he also does virtual consults. So let's get on with the show. And welcome to the show, Randy. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great to have you here. I wanted to bring you on to talk about all of these things about dogs that is not necessarily common knowledge. And a lot of these things that we think we know about dogs, but we probably don't. (laughs) Sure. What what do you want to know? All right. So can you share a little more about your background and how you made your way to working with dogs? Totally by accident. (laughs) Uh, I started volunteering at a shelter uh, in the early 2000s, I just had an, a free Thursday morning, and I decided it would be a great idea to go to the local shelter and help out. And that's what I did. And one thing led to another, and I started working with dogs that had problems. I was just naturally attracted to the dogs that um, had big red letters on their kennel placards, please do not touch. And so I decided that those were the dogs I wanted to work with. And that's how it started. Wow. And now you're here. Now I'm here. (laughs) That's great. So um, let's talk a little bit about what the difference between a dog trainer is and a behaviorist is. Um, This is a really important distinction, right? Well, it is. The problem is what a dog trainer is and what a behaviorist is isn't really clear either. So it's hard to compare the two. Almost anyone can call themselves a dog trainer. Um, There isn't really a national certification or standard for it. There are certifications, but there's no standard for it. So anyone that works with dogs could technically call themselves a a dog trainer. And almost the same thing is true for a behaviorist. Technically, a behaviorist is someone who has gone to school and has an advanced degree, usually a vet. And there are a few places that will bestow upon you the title of behaviorist. supposed to mean that you have a higher level of of education or or academic understanding of behavior. But I've met dog trainers that are excellent, and I've met behaviors that aren't so great and vice versa. 
Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. <laughs> it's all right. an individual thing, right? Like the dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to work with dogs takes, takes a certain skill set. And just because you study dogs or study learning theory doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be good at it. It's like any skill, uh, whether it be an athletic skill or, or an art skill. You, you have to have the passion for it and you have to develop a skill set. And it's, it's really that simple. So yes, when you're looking for a dog trainer, it's good to see if they have a certification or if they have several years of experience, but it's really important to do a little bit of research to find out what kind of results they've gotten, their reviews or testimonials for their work. That's probably the more important aspect for selecting someone to help you if you have a dog with issues. Yeah. So as a behaviorist and talking about issues, let's just jump right into some of these behaviors that we think are normal, but they're not, they may be normal, but they're not healthy. Um, you know, I've learned so much by working with you where I'm like, oh, it's cute when the dog sits on your foot or, you know, (laughs) what are some of those things? Yeah. The viral videos that I see, you're talking about the things that get a million hits and everybody loves it. Yes. It let's makes, cover makes my skin that. crawl, right? Right. Um, yeah. A lot of times people humanize their dog. We all know that. And many times that doesn't really cause any particular problem other than the dog might be a little overstimulated or overexcited at times. But sometimes certain behaviors can actually be red flags for other symptoms that people don't necessarily connect the dots from you know what they see as cute or what they allow and then the behaviors that they don't like later on. So one example is happens very frequently in the rescue world is that you get a dog that let's say is insecure or doesn't have a good solid social background and you bring that dog into a home that has a very loving family and they don't set any rules for the dog and the dog starts to claim or learn to to establish ownership over certain resources and the most important one is over members of the family. So if the dog is allowed to do certain behaviors, which we can go over, and then claims the family members, the dog can go from being friendly or even shy and reserved to being quite offensive and even aggressive and protective of the family uh, over a period of weeks or months after they take the dog into their home. So some of those behaviors um, that we do as humans, as dog parents, um, what are some of those behaviors that potentially set your dog up for failure. Right. It's it's really all about privilege. So some dogs, just like humans, can handle certain privileges without many rules or without uh, you know much supervision and they self-regulate. And other dogs don't do a good job of that at all. So again, the 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 common place where you see this happening is with a rescue dog. It's insecure, doesn't have a home, comes into a home and then is allowed to claim certain things or people in the home. So it might start claiming a bed. It might start claiming a human. How does it do those things? Well, it will follow you room to room, for instance, step on your foot, lean against you, sit on your foot, lay across you in what we call uh, passive guarding positions or glomming positions. So usually when a dog does that, you'll see one of two results. The dog will either become protective of its emotional security blanket, meaning the human, people now come in and that it used to greet now starts to growl or bark, or it doesn't know how to cope when the security blanket leaves, which then we call separation anxiety or separation distress. And so when a dog comes in, it should have boundaries. Yes, it can lean on you. Yes, you can have affection. Yes, you can have interactions with the dog, but the dog needs to know there's rules that come with that. It's not a free-for-all and the dog simply can't do those behaviors when it feels lost or insecure or nervous. It has to learn 
how to have a normal emotional relationship with a human. We don't always set those rules and then we have to deal with the consequences later. Yeah. Like you said, the, uh, you know, sitting on you or laying across you. I mean, I think it's adorable when Cole does it, but I mean, that would be trouble if all of a sudden he started exhibiting any signs of this is mine and you're not going anywhere. Correct. They can control you. They can control others around you, or they can have anxiety when they can't see you. Um, just like with a human, you would expect that once they say hi to you, that they give you your personal space back. Uh, dogs have to learn that as well. If they don't, and they become glommy or needy um, or hyper-attached to you emotionally, they can have you can face repercussions or have problems the same way you would if you had an adult human following you around and holding on to your sleeve constantly. You know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fun for a minute, but then it's like, okay, that's enough. For some reason with dogs, we, we sort of throw those basics right out the window and we think it's cute or we, we don't address it. And, and again, some dogs can handle it and some really can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, until I started working with you guys, I didn't realize that that those rules applied and I didn't realize that that was an issue. Um, but you're right. And I, I can see it now that you've pointed it out. You can see like at the dog park, for example, I see when a dog is curving its body around in front of its owner and being a block and right. barking at other people, like showing its teeth, mm -hmm. um, things like that, where you're like, oh, you just knock it off. But that's a bigger problem. It can be. And if you take a dog that uh, genetically has been created to be a guard breed dog, you know, pit bulls are, are one example, or a herding or a shepherding breed, it can really start to manifest as, as fairly serious behaviors. Um, I, just as a very quick example, I had a pair of German shepherds here that uh, were brought here a few months ago. They were only six months old, so they're not very old. And they were already severely aggressive to me when the owner took them out of the car. 20 yards away, they showed signs that they were going to come after me. The way I knew it was related to the owner is I had the owner tie the dog up to uh -huh. a post, had her walk away, and then I was able to approach the dog. No growling, no barking. The dog simply showed signs that it was afraid. It actually tucked its tail and cowered a little bit, but there was no lunging. So I was able to walk the dog. As soon as I invited the owner back, the dog started looking at me and growling at me again. So uh. there's one of those situations, and it's actually very, very common, where the behavior problem is really a function of the dynamic, the relationship status between the dog and the owner. The dog itself is fine. The owner itself, themselves are fine. But when you mix the two, you get a whole new set of behavior problems that didn't exist when either one were taken in isolation from each other. Wow, that's really interesting. Because yep. it's, you know, I don't think a lot of people put those two together. No, they don't. And the, the owner thought that the dog was just being lovey. This is one of those things where we misinterpret. You know, there's a very insecure dog that she got as a very young puppy, followed her room to room, laid on her feet, leaned on her constantly, had to put its paw and chin on her all the time, which, of course, is interpreted as the dog really loves me. And that's probably true, but there is a difference between somebody loving you and somebody stalking you or being obsessed with you, right? There's, there's a graded line between the two. And again, it's really about the privilege you give the dog. Some dogs have to have stronger or more clear rules about how they interact with you. Other dogs, not so much. Wow. 
Oh, that's good. So I wanted to take just a tiny step back and talk about your background within health, fitness, um, the the human body and human behavior and, and how we have to train on a consistent basis and how that ties in too. Because I think sometimes, you know, this is a health podcast. People know I love my dogs. That's probably why they're listening. <laughs> Found it through dogs. Um, but you know, we talk about consistency and, um, you know, doing the correct training and things like that for health and fitness and the right psychology behind it. How has your background tied into working with animals? Well, a number of ways. I started off as a trainer that specialized in working with, this is a human trainer, actually, uh, (laughs) working with people with injuries. So you have to be a little more aware of what you're doing and you have to pay attention because you're looking for compensatory patterns. When somebody has a shoulder injury, for instance, they're going to move differently. uh, And they can certainly do the exercise you ask them. But if you're not paying really close attention, they're simply going to be, we'll just in short say they're doing it wrong. It might look correct on the outside, but if you look at very subtle movements as far as how they stabilize their spine or how they use their diaphragm to control their core while they're doing it, it's incorrect. And so you have to really have a keen eye for movement. And when you're working with dogs, uh, especially with behavior problems, it's very much the same because you're looking oftentimes for very, very subtle behavioral signals that the dog might be giving off. And if you're not paying attention to that, you can miss things or you can end up with uh, a leg full of teeth. So you have to watch very carefully how the dog holds its head, where it's looking, how it positions its feet, whether or not it presents its left side of its body to you. There's just a number of things that you have to be keenly aware of. So the transition between looking at the human body and how it moves was actually helpful when I transitioned to dogs, when I watched their body language and how they move. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then consistency in training. I mean... Correct. You can't just train your body like two days and call it good. Well, I'm glad glad you brought that up because there is something that needs to be said with regard to training. When you typically train a dog for dog training, in dog training, you're looking or addressing or creating voluntary behaviors. I ask you to sit, you put your butt on the floor. I ask you to lay down, you put your elbow on the floor, right? But when you're dealing with behavior problems, you're not dealing with voluntary behaviors. You're dealing with emotional responses and instinctually driven behavioral sets. So for instance, if a dog wants to chase a rabbit, right? That's a hardwired behavior. It wants to go do it, catches and kills the rabbit. Uh, Same thing with aggression in the home. Dogs will guard bowls of food or bones, things like of that nature. None of those things are related to whether or not you train your dog, number one. And number two, training a dog out of that problem using traditional methods like sit to put your rear end on the floor or down to put your elbows on the floor doesn't necessarily address the problem or change the emotional state. There's more to dog training than asses and elbows. It can't be just about down and sit. What you have to address are the, the emotional tendencies, the impulsivenesses, impulsive nature of a dog. That's what gets dogs into trouble most often. And so if you just use a dog training approach, you're going to find a, a very uh, limited set of results. The dog will do it when he wants the reward you have or when he's in a calm state. But when he becomes emotional, they're not going to be able to pay attention to you. So in order to do that, yes, you can set aside training time for teaching the dog X, Y, and Z behavior. But the behavioral work, the non-training work, the emotional work, the relationship work, that's 24-7. 
that's something that has you have to keep an eye on all the time. If the dog's claiming you and guarding you, that's not something you can set aside 30 minutes a day to work on. It's a different kind of consistency to raise a well-behaved dog than it is to raise a well-trained dog. Oh. Training is easy for a dog. Yeah. You can you can read a, a brochure or a pamphlet and it's fairly straightforward. But making sure your dog's well-behaved is a little bit more involved and it is just like raising kids. You really don't get a break from it, Yeah. right? You, you always have to watch what they're doing until they're old enough to self-regulate. And that's the key difference between quote-unquote dog training and true behavior work. And we're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. So how are you liking the show? We would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review. Just click that review button, leave us some comments, and we appreciate all of your feedback. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And I mean, to tie it back into the health and fitness, that's like trying to fix a binge eating disorder with a meal plan. Correct. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, there's so much more that goes into it. Exactly. You're, you're, you can't just substitute a skill for some sort of underlying emotional problem or a motivational issue that has to be addressed first then your dog will listen to you and comply and sit and down and that sort of thing but the dog's guarding you it doesn't matter if he sits right it doesn't matter if he downs Um, doesn't matter if he knows those things you can't use them anyway in those situations and in fact sometimes it makes it worse really absolutely Um, I had a client that um, found me just before they were about to put their Weimaraner down of uh, four years they got it when it was a puppy they were great owners but the dog growled mm-hmm. when it would eat as a puppy they worked with a trainer for a few months didn't really resolve the problem so they just resolved okay when the dog's eating we're going to leave it alone in the kitchen fast forward four years mm-hmm. now they want to get another dog or they have another dog but so they want to be safe but they were thinking about having children so they hired another trainer came in told the dog told them how to teach the dog to leave it and to drop it and all that fast forward to a week later they decided that they were going to start that training program and uh, the first time they did that the dog turned around and put the wife in the hospital oh my multiple bite wounds non-terminating attack meaning it wasn't just a bite and this dog stopped it kept going oh wow so she was in the hospital for about a week when she got out the husband goes well we really have to get on this now and he did it same thing really unfortunately he fell backwards when the dog attacked him so he got it even worse the second time now to their credit they did not give the dog away yeah yeah right here you go take care of this problem they found me just in the nick of time i came in we did a whole separate protocol for dealing with food aggression the the point is that if you tell a dog who thinks that he owns something or really really wants something that he can't have it using obedience no sit wait leave it all of those things. What you're really doing is you're creating conflict. Okay. In the same way that if I took your car keys from you and held them over your head and I said, okay, do 20 jumping jacks for me and then I want you to run around and do something else, you aren't going to like me after a while. No, give me my car keys. <laughs> yeah, why? Because you feel that they, those belong to you. Yeah. Right? So me teaching you down or sit or enforcing it isn't going to help you. You're yeah. going to hate me more around feeding time. It's going to build up stress and resentment and anxiety. So there are many times when not only obedience isn't effective, but it can actually make the problem worse. Wow. Again, that's a difference between dog training and behavior work. Yeah. In dog training, you're assuming that the dog wants something that you have in your hand or is willing to work for it and is respectful already. 
right? Yes. I tell people don't train your dog until the dog's well behaved. Yeah. Which seems a little counterintuitive, but it's true. Yeah. Make sure your dog is respectful and well behaved first before you go and train them sit and down and all those sort of things. And you'll avoid most of the problems that people encounter, such as dogs growling, biting, or unfortunately putting you in the hospital. Oh my. Oh, that would be terrifying. <laughs> Uh, so then let's talk a little bit about how, how does proper behavior in dogs affect the dog's health? I mean, you touched on it before and said, you know, they have aggression or, I mean, um, anxiety, things like that. Um, I mean, because we want to have healthy dogs, right? Correct. I mean, mentally, just like with humans, if they're stressed all the time, anxious, feeling like they have to guard things, they can be hyper vigilant or on alert. They can be tense. There's a number of internal emotional problems that can become chronic for a dog that that isn't in the emotional space that he needs to be but really what it boils down to is this if you get a dog or have a dog that has a significant behavior problem and you don't address it either to prevent it or get an effective solution for it the bottom line is the dog dies right yeah. there's nobody that wants to take a dog like that yeah right um, it's not safe to give a dog like that to somebody else. Nobody wants to inherit your problems. Rescues yeah. aren't going to take owner relinquishments, especially if they have issues like that. And so now your only other option is to drop it off at the shelter. If the dog exhibits the type of behavior that you, you didn't want the dog for, guess what? That dog gets put done. down. It's done. Exactly. So the, the, the end result of not doing what you're supposed to do with your dog is the dog dies. Yeah. I mean, there may be a few weeks or months of intermediate shuffling of the dog from here to there, but the bottom line is most dogs statistically die when the owner gives them up for a significant behavior problem. That's yeah. just the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the owner doesn't do it, so they end up in a place where overcrowding and, you know, being unadoptable. Correct. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, there's only so much, you know, the other person can do once they get this dog that Correct. has the problems. Mm. The good news is, is that it's not particularly difficult to set your dog up for success. You do have to have a certain set of skills and the right techniques to do it, but it's not difficult. It's no difficult, more difficult than riding a bicycle. You just have to have the know-how, recognize what is going to work and what isn't, i.e. avoid obedience training at least initially. Yeah. Uh, and things like that. Don't let the dog do certain behaviors to you, set boundaries for both social resources and interaction, territorial boundaries. The dog doesn't get to run around wherever it wants. That keeps the dog's emotional and instinctual behaviors in check, which therefore keeps the problem behaviors at bay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit too about exercise because um, this came up today whenever we were working with Patches, my yes. crazy little foster. Right. And what I noticed was you know, obviously like not an ex not enough exercise will make a dog kind of nutty, but I noticed too, that too much exercise will just rocket launch him into the stratosphere and forget about it. We need to go to bed and like call it a day. Um, because he just won't pay attention to me. He's just too amped up. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. There's a number of times where exercise, quote unquote exercise, or, or let's call them activities in the environment may not be helpful for a dog. Um, I'll, I'll address that in a moment, but I'll just give you another example. I've had people with fearful or nervous dogs that, that they take out into the environment to quote unquote socialize them, right? To get them over it. And clearly the dog's not enjoying the experience at all. And so when they get back, the dog doesn't want to go outside the next day or the next week and it becomes more and more reluctant and withdrawn. And obviously people want to change that. So there's, they are confused as to their attempts to socialize the dog and the dog isn't responding. Well, the dog doesn't like it. 
right? Standing in the line at DMV longer and longer doesn't make you more and more patient <laughs> or like the experience, right? Multiple dental visits per week doesn't necessarily make you like visiting the dentist. So you have to assess the individual dog's needs and, and structure your activities around that particular dog. In other words, it's different for each case. In your case with Patches, his problem is he doesn't self-regulate very well. In other words, when he gets excited, he tends to not only stay excited, but he takes it to one or two levels above and beyond that. Yeah. So he ratchets up. So with a dog like that, if you attempt to exercise that energy out of them, what you're going to get when you get back home is a dog that's more amped than when you left. And so I've seen situations where people will literally run the knees and hips off of a dog and attempt to sort of burn that energy off. And it, it just doesn't work. What you have to do with a dog like that is teach him, yes, we're going to get excited and now we're going to shut it back off. And the moment you're calm, you've earned another bout, another round, and we do it again. So the dog gets in the habit through these consistent, as you mentioned, (laughs) repetitions of we get excited, we calm down. We get excited, we calm down. And then that becomes the dog's habit. They will get excited, and then a few minutes later, they will almost reflexively and naturally calm back down. If you keep going as they get excited, it's like a runaway like an avalanche, snow, runaway snowball. It, it just gets worse and worse and it compounds itself. Yeah. So again, you have to assess that on a case-by-case basis, but simply exercising or exposing a dog to, to environmental experiences won't necessarily give you the results you're looking for for some dogs. Yeah, but some dogs it kind of does, right? Like you do, um, I, I noticed you do a lot of skateboard training here. For example, dogs hate skateboards, some of them. Some do, yeah. Um, and so, you know, you will kind of ease them into not being scared of it. But the way you do it makes all the difference, right? You're not just going to like take 80 skateboards and run them in front of dogs. Right. When you're exposing a dog, you are, no matter how you do it, you are flooding the dog a little bit. You are exposing them to a level of stimulus that's a little more than their comfort zone. Um, If you, as you said, if you don't do it correctly, it can make it worse. If you don't push them enough, they don't get better. So there's a fine line there. It's no different than exercise, right? If you don't get out of your chair, you're not going to get in shape. And if you run 40 miles every day with no breaks, uh, you're going to wear your body down. It's no good either. So there's a happy medium. So when you're exposing a dog to these things like skateboards, how you do it, yes, is absolutely critical. If you do it right, the dog gets better. If you're not doing it right or you're not taking into account something about the dog it may not get better at all or may get worse yeah yeah so ultimately all of this comes down to the owner sounds like well (laughs) and how we how we uh interact with the dog absolutely true you know the dogs some dogs certainly bring their own issues to the table Mm -hmm. there's no doubt about it some dogs will come to you and they have a tendency to be excitable or fearful or what have you so it's not always the owner's quote-unquote fault however the only one that can wake up in the morning and decide to do something different than what they did yesterday or change the course of what's happening between themselves and the dog is the human so i would say it's the human's responsibility right Uh, Whether it's a good match or not, that's something you have to decide, but you have to make changes. You are the one that has to wake up in the morning, no different than training or changing your own lifestyle. You have to wake up and decide that you're going to require your dog to behave a certain way, and we're going to work through whatever issues until you get that behavior. Yeah. 
the dog's not going to wake up one day going, you know what? I've, I bit four people. This is really stressing my owner out. You know, the last person I bit really didn't taste good. You know, I really need to just cut back and stick with the kibble. I need to change my life. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they can't do it. They can't do it. They need yeah. an owner. They need a pack leader, if you want to call it that. They need a parent to guide them through it. Yeah. So the final question, how can somebody get in touch with you and find some of these awesome resources that you um, are putting out there. And I do have to say before, I'm sure you'll mention it, but your Instagram account is super cute. Um, <laughs> I love how you show funny videos, you show cute videos, you show videos that are quote unquote, you know, viral, cute, that are, you know, behavior issues, things like that. But right. um, where can, fi- where can people find that, find all of this? Uh, on Instagram, it's the canine underground. Um, I'll have a website that matches that name up shortly, which will have videos and other resources for owners to go to. Right now, it's just primarily the Instagram account. My dog training website is Argos Dog Training, all one word, ArgosDogTraining.com. And my contact information is there. There's recommended equipment and some more information about dog behavior. You can find it on that site. Yeah, that's great. And you do a lot of work with a lot of rescues here in the Southern California area. So you really specialize in these these dogs that need extra care. Correct. The Argos dog training is for private clients. We also have a rescue that um, became a 501c3 in 2009. That's called Better by the Pound. Um, I didn't mention that only because that's really for uh, rescues and shelters when they have problem dogs. But yes, we work with dogs whether they have an owner or not. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.